So when someone says, oh, I like, I don't want to work on Friday because I want to go for a hike with my family. And you say that to your boss and your boss is probably going to say, yeah, me too. <laughs> like, can I come? <laughs> of course. Tor Kitching recently completed his master's in marine biology, began working at a bike shop, and then switched to a job that's primarily behind a desk. And he just moved across the country to Vancouver for a said job. Join us to hear about those life changes, his summer spent in Norway as a kid, and his plans for his time spent outside in BC. My name's Alex McLean, and welcome to the 41st Hour. So, uh, yeah, thanks for coming by, Tor. I'm here Thank with my so friend much. Tor Kitching, who... Uh, took some time out of his busy week because he's moving to vancouver on monday oh my god yeah <laughs> How, uh, how's your week been between working full-time and it's been it's been hectic i mean luckily it's remote so i i can technically step away to like sell stuff and and, and deal with deal with life things like i don't know setting up student loan payments and random random stuff mail forwarding that kind of thing but today was definitely the most hectic lots of value village runs and selling every article of furniture can you call furniture articles is that a thing i think so okay well, we will hear <laughs> we'll know we'll know we'll look it up um but yeah busy 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 and then tomorrow we are out of our apartment and then we leave on a plane on monday mm. and that's and then we're off to new adventures yeah terrifying and exciting but yeah. very sad to leave halifax yeah what are you gonna miss most about halifax i actually yesterday i was thinking about the fog really yeah it's just so i don't know it's very it's picturesque gonna... very it has the mystique <laughs> um but i was yeah i was going for a walk down point pleasant and there was all the fog rolling in across the like the boatyard yeah um it was just nice it's cool it's very quiet there's not a lot of people especially in the summer because yeah. there's no university students but and vancouver's vancouver's a big city yeah like i used to live in toronto growing up but then vancouver is big what are you most looking for, what are you most looking forward to and least looking forward to about Vancouver? Probably least is just how big it is and it's just travel time is a bigger concern and traffic is probably more of something I need to think about. I don't own a car so I never think about traffic because I'm on a bike and I can just scoot by people. <laughs> <laughs> um probably most of all is Honestly, though, a thing that I always loved about going there was the fact that you could see the mountains kind of wherever you looked. Uh. That, that always felt nice, just being able to look up and be like, oh, yes, they're there. They're not bad. Reassuring. <laughs> um, and just proximity to the ocean. And I think I, we, we've talked about getting into a sailing club. because I think there's more sailing there than there is here, at least in terms of like a, that you can get into for racing. Okay. That might just be that I haven't looked into it here, but... So you haven't sailed here on the East Coast? It'd be a new... I have, okay. but through more through friends. Okay. Um, yeah, like getting on people's boats because they're already going, and then yeah. you, you crew in, in quotation marks where you kind of, <laughs> someone says pull and you pull, and <laughs> that's it. <laughs> but. Okay. And then, so you said something like about Vancouver is you can see the mountains from basically wherever you are. What about the mountains? What draws you to those? I don't know. It's a bit like the ocean, but I think the the reason I like mountains is because you, it does make you feel very small mm -hmm. as a tall person. That's sometimes a nice <laughs> thing. So you're six, five, six, four, six, six, four, six, five. Okay. Depends on if I'm slouching, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so fairly tall. I'd say average. Tall is average tall. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess the, the ability to also like see new things. Like as a kid, when we were ever, we were, in the mountains you'd always kind of crest a peak and then you'd see a valley that you'd never seen before and that was a cool sensation because there was always something else that you hadn't seen mm -hmm. um and mountains go fast like that's the other thing is you can go fast in the mountains you can go <laughs> you can fall on a rope and go fast down you can go down on skis you can go down on a bike um so mountains are kind of rewarding because Anytime you go up, you also get to go down, <laughs> and then it's fun. Yeah. It's like a slow surfing. You get to just do it surfing. over a course of a day. <laughs> okay. Do you, so yeah, they they are pretty slow up unless you take a chairlift or yes something. Do you embrace the slowness, or you'd rather just get to the top on the chairlift and then come down, be it mountain biking or skiing? I've only well, I've, I've been skiing like that a couple times. 
and I don't enjoy sitting like that. I would almost like, I do, I think I do prefer the slowness. Yeah. It feels more rewarding to know that you've ground your way up there. Yeah. Um, which is why I've always wanted to go like backcountry powder skiing where you have to skin up. Like you guys have done those trips in Quebec and Cape Breton, but yeah, yeah. Um, just the one, but yeah. Oh, just one. Uh, I went to the one in Cape Breton, but I went more for photos. So I just, I would snowshoe up the hill and then run down on my snowshoes to try and beat the people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But then, yeah, in Quebec, we rented uh, skis to skin up. And like the rentals weren't bad. I think it was like 50 bucks a day, which is pretty reasonable, especially considering the cost of skis. That's really um, good. That set up. Do you think you'll buy? I'm assuming you don't own skinning skis. No, I don't own any. I own so little winter activity gear. It's kind of absurd. <laughs> I shut. I feel like I shut down in the winter, except for surfing. Surfing is probably the only winter sport mm. I do. You have like a I winter wetsuit, I'm assuming, or you yeah, just tough I've, it out. I okay. brought all of that. Um, luckily, Tofino doesn't get to the <laughs> doesn't get to the zero degree we have here. But um, yeah, I would like to get. I'd probably get cross country skis first. Okay, my first investment, and then maybe telemark because my brother telemarks. Um, but then I have to learn how to telemark. What's the difference between telemark and uh, skin skis? Um, So, well, I guess technically not anything because the the big point about telemark is that you can detach your heel. heel, Well, the heel is always detached. So you have to turn with a detached heel. That sounds sketchy. (laughs) Yeah, it's the like, the turn is like when you go into a lunge. So you're lunging into the direction you're turning. Okay. Um, So your outside leg that's extended, I think, is on the outside edge of the turn. Yeah. Um, which I think takes a lot of leg and knee strength, which is always spooky when you're clipped in on the yeah. ski boots. I always <laughs> hear about so many people like hitting a bad turn and then your knee gets caught by the ski boot and you're like, oh God, that sounds yeah. terrifying. <laughs> Being strapped in is different for sure. But definitely leg workout. Like I remember in Quebec, I'd do a turn, do a turn, and then maybe squeak out a third turn or just take a break <laughs> and like link two or three turns take a break <laughs> just not being used to it yeah powder is pretty crazy i've never i've never skied or snowboarded in, in heavy powder but now that i'm going to bc maybe i can <laughs> yeah yeah it's a place to get into it for sure um you said you're always biking around the city and mm-hmm. i know that of course because i'm buying your bike <laughs> <laughs> i hope it treats you well <laughs> i'm sure it will i'm looking forward to it but uh, how do you feel about the uh, the bike scene in Vancouver? Are you excited about that? Because that's a pretty well-known biking yes. city. I mean, definitely a lot of people say it's the home of mountain biking. Um, I think Rocky says that on their website. Um, I'm sure many people in San Francisco will, will fight it, but um, <laughs> we'll leave that to other people's <laughs> to debate. Uh, yeah, I'm very excited about going to the North Shore. That's definitely been... I mean, I feel like, at least on YouTube, all of the mountain biking videos that I get recommended are Squamish... Pemberton or from and gross, um, which are all well from and gross or North shore Vancouver. Um, so it's, it's going to be exciting to go there. Cause I feel like those are a lot of the kind of test piece trails, mm-hmm. um, which will be fun to fun to engage with. And there's lots of like bike packing and gravel trips and, and the bike infrastructure is good in the city. So hopefully, I can continue not getting hit. <laughs> I'd like, like to extend that as long as possible. Yeah, I'd like you to extend that as long as possible too. Um, so you think you're just going to dive headfirst into the biking scene? Because you mentioned you've done some climbing in the past, and obviously the climbing up in BC is pretty good as well. Um, or are you going to split your time between the two activities, or how are you going to manage that? I, I have no idea. I don't know how to manage activities. I feel like I usually go full hog into one or the other, and then something else falls behind um i'm probably gonna go biking first because my brother does a lot of bike packing in in the the gulf islands Mm -hmm. um and those are pretty easy to get to pretty chill there's not a lot of cars it's it's kind of easy to get into um and then i think as soon as i can i'll probably buy a a mountain bike and get in get on to the north shore to try try some things out chase real um yeah I don't know about climbing. Climbing, I haven't been super into climbing recently, and I don't really know what kind of how I lost the bug. Um, but I still enjoy it. I just don't crave it in the same way that I used to. Yeah, okay. Do you find the craving you used to have for climbing is now replaced with 
craving for biking or is just a different kind of craving? Ooh. I think it's, I think it's been replaced. I think there's always the initial phase of the interest in, I don't want to say attaining mastery, but it is a kind of like the initial skill phase where everything is fresh and everything is new. And when I mountain bike, I feel like every time I ride something changes, Mm -hmm. like there is some sort of progression. Whereas I think at the end of what I'll call my climbing career now, (laughs) (laughs) which wasn't much of a career, but about to um, retire, (laughs) retire at 25. I'm just, I quit. Um, I, I think I was like, it was, but it was still at the period when you go projecting and you're spending days on a project Mm -hmm. with potentially no change between sessions. Yeah. And I was that maybe I just wasn't mentally tough enough to like, just enjoy that, that kind of grind. But, um, there was something about that where I enjoyed it when I was with partners, like climbing partners that I had been doing a project with for a long time. Mm-hmm. And so that was the kind of like social funness of two people just having a go at a climbing problem and just see if we can do it. Um, but then the climbing partner that I was climbing with left Halifax. And then I kind of just was like, Oh shit, what do I do? <laughs> what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> Who do I climb with? Um, yeah, I have a friend who said that, like, climbing isn't always fun, but you, like, sometimes you get into the flow of the movement, and then it becomes fun, or you just have an easy day, climbing, things well below you, great, and that's fun, but biking, the minute you jump on a bike, you're having fun. It's just, like, yeah, joy for, let's say, 95% of the time, because if you eat it, it's probably not going to be fun, but, like, it's just so much quicker to obtain that fun biking versus climbing yeah yeah i can see that i think it comes down to actually i was thinking about this the other day before this because i was like oh man what's alex gonna ask me but (laughs) there's no downtime when you're biking like you're always on the bike yeah even if you're with a group even if you're a group that's a good point and even when you're stopped you're probably stopped because you're talking to someone who's a friend and you're having a good time but when you're on the bike even if you're grinding up a hill you're still engaged with grinding up the hill Mm -hmm. um to give another example when you're surfing when you're sitting in the water waiting for the wave you're still in the ocean sitting bobbing up and down yeah which is still enjoyable i guess when you're climbing and you're sitting between goes you're kind of just sitting there and all you mm. all i could ever think about was oh god am i what am i gonna mess up this yeah time? <laughs> i'm like oh am i gonna be able to pull this move am i too tired Interesting. oh god did i eat a big enough lunch like i definitely got into my head into thinking it was more competitive than it was because yeah. i wasn't competing against anybody <laughs> so just the time of not being involved in the activity let your mind wander because you weren't focused on the activity itself like you weren't yeah. engaged in it yeah i guess i like i would go in and out of flow states and i think i've I must have found that frustrating that I couldn't always be focused on it. Like when I'm biking, I'm not usually thinking about much because there's so there's so much stimulus going at you mm-hmm. when you're when you're going quickly and you're trying to keep like you memorize the route and you're trying to remember what's coming next. You're trying to think about what your body position is doing, what's happened to your feet. There's bugs in your face, lots of stuff. <laughs> um, and so there's constantly a fight to stay focused and then you don't really have time to think about anything else. Yeah. Um, but when you're on the ground and you're feathering out your rope and setting up and chalking your hands, you're all, I feel like I was always thinking about like, Oh yeah. Uh-oh. Like where's the spot I fell off last time? <laughs> my like... hands kind of feel tired. Is my <laughs> finger hurting? I feel like my fingers yeah. hurt. When's the last time I climbed? Was it two days ago or three days ago? Yeah. yeah. It's like, how did I do this? That, Oh, th- I now I totally remember this. Magister Ludi at main face. Okay, yeah. Um, there was one move on it that I I did one time and it felt amazing. And I was like, next time we come here, this is going, going for down. sure. Yeah. Like I'm so excited. I can't wait to get back to it. And then just with the way that managing stuff worked, I didn't get out to it for like another two, three weeks. Yeah. And I'd forgotten the move. And I was back at it and I was looking at it and I was like, I have no idea how I did this. 
Yeah. And I couldn't remember it. And I was so sad because I was like, man, I knew it felt good. And I knew that it was there. And, and now I can't do it. And if you did that you would get it. And that was the last time I went to the main phase. And I never got to do it because I couldn't <laughs> remember it. And I was like, oh, God, this is awful. You should go tomorrow before you leave for Vancouver. Very, yeah, I sold my robe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know that's frustrating. I know when I was... Anytime I've jumped on something, something's felt good. I've written a little note in my phone. So like oh. worst case scenario, I can refer back to that. Obviously it's not the same as, as yeah. doing the move, but yeah. Yeah. So back to let's we've kind of varied the conversation here and there, but we started off with going all the way to the West coast. Let's come back mm-hmm. to the East coast. Um, you recently took the current job that you're taking like a couple, I'd say a couple months ago, or was it just a couple uh, weeks? July 4th. about a month yeah yeah just under a month so almost the 30th yeah yeah yeah. so what exactly are you doing these days so i am a well i'm the coordinator for the international year of the salmon which is a sub group or subcommittee of the north pacific anadromous fisheries commission which is a very long name it's just it's a fisheries commission so it's a well intergovernmental policy slash science group um, that works with a number of partner nations, Canada, US, uh, Japan, Korea, Russia, I think are the kind of big ones, and then Norway, England, um, and I think this, those I think are the main, the main countries. And they're focused on salmonid research. Um, so all sorts of salmon and the international year the salmon group is doing this uh they've been going for five years i'm stepping into the role of coordinator as some some people kind of moved on to different positions and so this slot came available um but the bulk of my work is going into setting up this conference in october that'll be a kind of synthesis of the past five years of research or five years of work by the iys oops sorry (laughs) Um, yeah synthesis of the past five years of work and setting up this roadmap to 2030 for what what can we do to help conserve salmon in the future with climate change um, and and how can researchers kind of appropriately communicate their findings to policymakers and, and to governments in order to make sure that the work that we've found and the information we now have actually goes and does something um that's the long and short of it um obviously coming into it late is kind of hard because i don't have the five years of experience yeah, it's, a and up. it's a lot of catch up a lot of people that already know each other that i'm kind of just interjecting myself into um which is which can be can be tricky but it's a lot of right now just meetings and okay. chasing and hurting cats via email that's mm. the bulk of what i do and then i think the fun part will come later as I get to help some of these. Um, so within the conference, there's a bunch of sub themes. Like one of them is, is how can we use remote monitoring tools in salmonid conservation? So think, thinking about things like telemetry, sail drones, if you're familiar with those kind of equipment, no, they're like autonomous, uh, monitoring devices. Okay. They might, they might pick up tags. So some people are engaging in salmon tagging where they'll, tag it like a cat basically yeah. and then when it goes past the receiver it'll ping and you can know this fish was traveled from here okay yeah um and that a lot of that work is going into understanding what salmon do in the open ocean because that's been a kind of black box for a long time and okay that we know once they hit the river we are fairly confident about what they do what controls what they do and and how they react to, to changes but the minute they get into the open ocean it's um, it's really hard to know what they're doing, mm-hmm. but we're getting closer and the tagging has gotten better and better. There's a bunch of Norwegians working on it actually. And they have their tags now last incredibly long and they've tracked salmon going from Norway to Iceland and back <laughs> like wow. crazy distances. Oh, <laughs> um, and they have these full tracks that like li- almost virtually live data, just seeing where the fish go, which is wild to think about. Yeah. Um, so that part is really cool that I get to learn about that. Um, yeah, I feel like I went on a massive tangent. No, there. no, if you <laughs> want to keep lost. going for sure, but, uh, I'm all about the tangents. So 
you're working remotely now, but are there opportunities for field work or is it mostly kind of coordinating for this conference coming up? It's mostly going to be coordinating for this conference and then there's going to be a couple papers that come kind of proceedings of the conference that I will also be doing the logistics for. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, no field work. There was cruises as part of this program, but I they've already run and there's a, there's another officer that does the expedition side. Okay. So I, I'm not going to really be I'm not going to be doing any field work, unfortunately. I didn't even get to do field work in my master's. I was going to touch on that. I was, just I was oh, God, no? so sad. So you did a master's in marine biology? Yeah. Focused on what? So broadly focused on statistically, well, statistical models of life history traits, namely maturity. Um, and my first chapter was on salmon okay. in Norway. Um, and that was looking at one of the interesting life history kind of characteristics where some salmon will actually stay in the river. They'll never go to sea. They will mature in the river and they'll kind of mature at a small size and they become what are often called satellite males or sneaker males. Okay. And they like, instead of being the big male, they will kind of sneak in and fertilize uh, like that. Okay. And so it's interesting to model what this, like, what makes a male decide to stay in the river and not go to sea? Because mm-hmm. obviously that's a huge trade-off for their energetics, and and it's interesting because that's if that changes, that has the possibility to change the population distributions in the open ocean, which is very important for people in fisheries. Mm-hmm. Um, salmon is a massive protein industry. Um, I don't know much about the economics of salmon. I probably should by now, but (laughs) that's one thing I need to look into. And then my second chapter was completely opposite. It was on parrotfish. Um, And there's a parrotfish called Chlorus sordidus and uh, Spirillus, which recently were the same species, but have been decided that they're two different. They look identical. So Um, recently in terms of like the age of evolution recently or recently, like I think it was three years ago oh okay yeah so the scientific community decided that there's enough between difference okay gotcha um and they undergo a sex change in maturity so they're born their protogynous the protogynous and i can't remember which which direction that means i think it's male to female um but so what decisions and some individuals never go through maturity some individuals will go through maturity quite late or quite early um, and they have very interesting social dynamics where they do both broadcast spawning. So a female will kind of spray and then all the males will chase after mm-hmm. and, and try and fertilize. And so it's kind of like a broad scale competition. And then you also have harems, which will be one male, whole bunch of females. Okay. Or I can't remember if it's the other way around. <laughs> I feel so silly. I studied this. Um, and then whoever matures to become the next harem leader what drives that is it a social decision is it because someone's just more dominant or they're better set up in terms of how healthy they are um and so trying to model that and understand that which was very fun and no field work and no field work i didn't go to st- <laughs> i didn't step foot on one coral reef i didn't go to norway i didn't do anything <laughs> um thanks yeah that was a covid whoopsies Oh, that was a result of the pandemic? That was a result. Well, partially, but also partially because I was originally meant to work with BIO. And on the day of my admission to candidacy exam, they called me and said, oh, <laughs> we can't, <laughs> um, which was a which was a fairly big hiccup in my master's. Um, but I went through with it and I didn't lose any time, which was good. But I was meant to do some electrofishing with the salmon team at BIO. Uh, which was okay. going to be my field work experience. Would that be here local in Nova Scotia? Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and before that, I was even meant to work in, in Northern Labrador in an indigenous community in Maine. Mm. That was why I was brought into the masters that never panned out. And then the BIO <laughs> thing came up that didn't pan out. And so I was on, I was on plan C and D <laughs> by the end of my masters. I was like, man, I pulled it together though. So yeah, you finished it up. I feel like that's grad school. <laughs> you're never going in on plan a. <laughs> yeah. i don't want to touch on grad school but so yeah we kind of talked about your masters but outside of your masters how did you find being a student 
a grad student specifically and managing your thesis and your studies and your research with your recreational time. And I want to kind of go through a couple different uh, yeah. periods because you've done grad in the last eight months or so you've done grad school, uh, bike, bike mechanic, yeah. and now more of an office style job. Ooh, we can't say bike mechanic. No? <laughs> They'll get angry at me. <laughs> I'm definitely, I'm a bike salesman. <laughs> bike salesman? Okay. Okay. I said it, not tour, so you guys can yell at me. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I didn't know mechanic works. <laughs> Cycles with does not support that. I'm not skilled enough as a bike mechanic. But no, I did I did sell bikes. Um, yeah, so how did I balance outdoor and grad school? Not very well. Um, I spent a lot of time indoors and that was but that was when I started biking. Okay. So right I guess the first summer of COVID, so twenty 2020 i say covid as a time period um (laughs) it's probably not good summer of 2020 was when i bought my mountain bike with calder and we started biking and so that was actually the only outdoor time i was really getting okay um but you you, did you have your road bike at this point i did i had a i did have the same one but i was not road biking like that and i wasn't i hadn't really thought about doing gravel rides i wasn't yeah i really just wasn't going outside i wasn't running i wasn't i was mountain biking occasionally so kind of like once a weekend or as as many times as i could get called out the door <laughs> um i would go biking so i feel like that was a period of, of poor outdoors outdoors time but that was also a period when i think not a lot of people were going outdoors anyways yeah we weren't i mean we weren't allowed to for a period um yeah and then during the bike shop that was definitely when i started becoming interested in in road biking which wasn't previously a an interest (laughs) i feel like i always had this image of road bikers and then i started doing it every day and i was like oh it's not bad (laughs) get behind this this fast um when you have the kit and you look cool you're like oh yeah (laughs) the glasses the glasses the glasses did it um, it was fully the glasses fault. Um, for people that don't know, I have a, a pair of very crazy red spectacle <laughs> and matching goggles. socks, maybe? matching. True. Yeah. Almost the same color. Yeah. A white helmet though. Oh, uh, you gotta have something that doesn't stick out too much. That's, that's fair. <laughs> Although one of our friends, Galen has a pink helmet, which is very cool. Ooh. I'm slightly jealous of. Just get a highlighter and you can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not on my pock helmet. Oh God. <laughs> um, but yeah, so when I was biking, when I was working at Cyclesmith, um, it was, I definitely got the most interested in biking that I think I'd been. And that was because you're standing around looking at bikes all day and learning about what they can do. Um, and also there's just a lot of people there that were ex-professional road cyclists, professional mountain bikers, like racers there was two two guys there were members of the team nova scotia okay um and one of them was uh the the best cross like mountain biker in the province in terms of like speed um and it was so funny because every weekend you'd come back and the team would congratulate him on another win and (laughs) and you're just sitting there going like oh my god and then and then you get to go ride with them because they're like oh let's (laughs) let's see what he can do (laughs) and you're like oh my god this guy's (laughs) um but it was fun to ride with him because we it is a kind of like challenge of oh i've been mountain biking for a year or two i wonder i wonder where i'm at yeah yeah and then you we moderately kept up with him and we could do all the the same features that he was doing and we're like oh okay shit maybe okay. we're not bad at this. <laughs> no longer amateur yeah um, it kind of gave you a, a measuring stick to yeah that was that was really fun yeah and i feel like i haven't had a measuring stick like that in in other sports so much hmm. um i mean i think in climbing i guess climbing has a good measuring stick because there, there's grades yeah um, they're grades mountain biking too, but the there my experience there. mountain biking is there's less grades. There's like green, blue, black. So yeah, just such a wide variety between trails and stuff. Absolutely, and honestly, now that I've done some black diamonds and some blues, 
it almost comes down to features like the actual trail some trails don't feel very hard okay. and then there'll be one thing on them and then you're just like i'm not even gonna look at that and you just uh, ride around it and yeah. you're like well that feels weird <laughs> um which climbing doesn't have. You can't ride no, around you, the feature. Yeah, you got to go straight through the crux. You got to go straight through it. And you're like, there's no easy way out of this. Unless you're tall and you can just reach. But, but you're only average tall. So. Average yeah. tall, yeah. <laughs> or I get destroyed by small problems where my body's too long. To yeah, fit. a sit start. Ooh. That'll get you. That'll get you. Yeah. But uh, yeah, working at the bike shop, sounds like you're able to get out with your coworkers and ride with them. Yeah. Yeah. What's a... I mean, it doesn't sound like there was any crossover, but or there was crossover, no issues with the crossover, but do you ever find being so, like, working in something you're so interested in, did it ever take away from that interest in the hobby of mountain biking? I guess a little bit in that I was, because I knew so much more about my bike and about, like, bike maintenance I did become a little more paranoid about my bike. Uh. Um, so I, there was, I think part of, I mean, as, like when you're a kid and you just, you feel like you can't hurt yourself. Yeah. You're immortal. Um, I feel like I felt like that about my bikes <laughs> until, like, uh, until I knew uh, about them. And then I was like, Oh, that's a problem. <laughs> I can break that. That's kind of where I am right now. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I think it's a great way to be. I mean, it's, oh, I guess it's expensive at some point, but it's only expensive if you buy an expensive bike, I think. Um, and I don't have a very expensive bike, so. <laughs> um, but definitely if you have a $10,000 bike, it suddenly yeah, you're terrified you about breaking anything. Um, which I guess is a reason not to buy a $10,000 bike. Uh, I don't need any other reason. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Bike prices are crazy. That's mm. That was a strange thing that I had never really thought about the top end mm-hmm. um, and single purchases like climbing can be expensive if you buy a trad rack it's like yeah but you can incrementally build yeah it. you can buy piece by piece and i mean i don't know much about trad but i feel like certain pieces are more usable than others oh definitely yeah um, but like 12 grand on one bike is that's like all at once yeah like you said it's spooky can you build you can build up a bike though can't you absolutely yeah um you can get people to make them custom you can do what some people do is just they'll buy frames and then they'll slowly kind of stock up on parts Mm -hmm. um but if i've learned anything it is that compatibility is the name of the game in bikes okay that very very few things are compatible with each other and that was i did try to hang out so in the bike shop that i worked at there was like the the bike sales people and then there was the service team, which would take in bikes and then push them, like kind of take up notes for them, deal with the customers. And then those bikes would go downstairs to the mechanics and the mechanics would actually work on them. Oh, okay. But the service team was my kind of biggest interest because they were basically the ER nurses for bike coming in. Oh. Um, and so they would get bombarded by all these questions about people who might just didn't know what was wrong with their bike yeah so they just there you get a lot of bikes that are just handed in no idea what's going on and someone says what's wrong with it and you get to watch these guys just kind of pick it apart and be like oh here's what's wrong with it ain't got no gas in it (laughs) (laughs) and then those they were really fun to ask questions of and what i kind of realized is that most of their questions were compatibility related okay does this bar fit this one can I run this tire in this frame? Will this brake set work? Can I convert to this brake? What size rotor fits? Yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is probably what would make me the most scared about building up a bike, but it would probably work. Yeah. First, first bike, you get the luck and then you're just, it's golden. <laughs> it's a bit like building a computer. First one, first one, you're fine. And then the next one's, it's, that's you learn from the first one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the, is there an issue in compatibility between bike brands or it's just something to be aware of? Ooh. Well, I'll start with what I know with cleats and pedals, Shimano and look do not work together. So if you okay. have a Shimano pedal or sorry, yeah, 
if you have a shimano pedal you need a shimano cleat okay that makes sense to me yeah and there's definitely other things that i would group in that i'm i'm pretty sure that if you have certain group sets you can only run certain things mm -hmm. um, and that's why i would always refer to a mechanic in those cases of like, oh yeah can i do this um tires was a big one as well like how big of a tire can i run mm -hmm. and like that's happening with my road bike now it's like it has 23s but can i run a 28 because then it'll just be nicer yeah um it's a question of how how much tire can you fit on these kind of smaller road bikes but if you have back to the pedals and cleats if you have shimano pedals you don't necessarily need like your whole bike kitted out with Shimano, do you? No. That's an isolated system on your... Yes, yeah. yes, it's isolated. I'm just thinking about this very strange customer I had, but I'm not going to tell you that story. I don't <laughs> think... <laughs> I'll save that one for <laughs> Okay, all right. I'll talk about that after. But um, yeah, so yeah, we talked about the bike shop, and now you're in your, your office job, for lack yeah. of a better word, even though you're working remotely. Um how is that switch from more of a hands-on position where you're on your feet all day to something where you're kind of sitting for most of the time? My legs are feeling it. In a bad way or in a good in a, way? In a bad way. I'm, yeah. I'm not used to sitting so much. I mean, I sat from basically the entirety of my master's. Yeah. And so over the, like, the months that I worked at the bike shop, I like my legs went through a very rapid change uh. <laughs> and then immediately I went back to sitting all day and they were not happy. No, <laughs> had a lot of complaints. Um, that's been the kind of the biggest change. Um, and also it's hard to turn off with the remote work. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like going outside has suffered being organized in life has suffered cause it's very hard to sit down and be like, all right, I'm at work. Mm -hmm. No more distractions. Cause you're at home and, and stuff's happening and you, and I'm, and we're moving. So, and you're on BC time. So, and I'm on BC time. <laughs> so I start work at 12 and I get off at eight Man. and <laughs> it's just, it's weird. So I'm going to be happy to be on normal time and I can, yeah. Kind of get back to normalcy and stuff. Yeah. I need to get better at waking up early though. All these, <laughs> these 12 AM like noon starts are not good for sleeping. Oh, <laughs> well, they are good for sleeping. I yeah. wake up at like 10. I'm like, Oh, I wasted the morning. <laughs> yeah. How do you find your energy levels have changed? Like, would you get back from the bike shop and kind of be zonked or you'd have energy yes. cause you were running around all day as opposed to being stationary. I would be zonked. I, yeah. I don't think I was nearly getting enough calories. Oh, okay. I, think I was not, I was so used to sitting all the time that it was such a rapid change that I just, my body couldn't keep up with it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'd be trying to like ride after work. Um, and I'd change my bike route so there would be more elevation to and from home. Um, just like thinking like, Oh, this is a great chance to just try and do as much work as I can. Yeah. But I would get home and I'd be exhausted. Um, there was one week, oddly enough that I felt great. But oh, then okay. immediately after that deterioration, <laughs> I went back to being tired all the Did time. Did you ever isolate what it was during that week? I don't, I think I was like, it must've been like a runner's high. Like I had been at work for like a month and then I had a week of like, oh yeah, like I'm really getting in the groove. I'm waking up at six. I have all this time <laughs> before work. Um, I'm getting home. I'm doing lots of stuff. And then the week after I just crashed and I was like, Oh God, <laughs> this is, <ooh. laughs> is that when you changed back to the office job too? Yeah. Really? Actually? Well, no, I think I was back at the office job. I was just tired hmm. all the time, but I think that's mainly been the move and just the stress yeah. of getting everything out the door and then also coming to terms with all my friends are in Halifax and yeah. you know, I have to leave. And I guess it's not like a normal situation no it's pretty yeah it's pretty weird and there's there's definitely imposter syndrome of just like worrying that i don't have the expertise for this hmm. and that <laughs> i think everyone goes through that yeah. i still go through that <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah the the backstory to the job is i applied for an internship in january okay and i like this january yeah this yeah, january okay. and i they were they were supposed to get back to us in may yeah. And I never heard back from them. And I was like, okay, I didn't get the internship. Yeah. And then they called me and said, hey, we'd like to interview for the position of coordinator. 
which is above the internship. And I was like, Oh, hot diggity dog. <laughs> this is great. And then I got a rejection. Then they interviewed me. And the day after the interview, I got a rejection from the internship. And then I got accepted the next day to the coordinator <laughs> position. I was like, what is going on? This is a roller coaster. <laughs> this is a roller coaster. Um, so I didn't get the internship, but I got the position above it, which is great. And I'm very appreciative of that. Yeah, yeah. Do you think you'll be out West long term? This is the golden question. I don't know. Yeah. I I don't know where I want to live. And I think it's going to come. I know it's going to come down to what hobbies do i want to do long term okay um i know catalina and i have generally decided like we need an ocean close to us yeah um web but bc has that halifax has that lots of spain has that um mm. norway has that england has that um and it also depends what we want to do with phds mm-hmm. um if I want to do a PhD, if I want to continue working with NGOs like this, um, they pay well. So yeah, that's nice. <laughs> more than a bike shop, more than, more than grad school. <laughs> Is a PhD on your radar then? You think you'd go back to school at some point? I think it would be fun. Yeah. I think there's still lots of questions that I, that I had in my master's that I would like to like to answer. Mm-hmm. So it'd be a continuation of your master's, do you think? Or? Most likely. Either I will do a PhD in probably salmon life history, or I think I would do a PhD in, I guess, either parafish or kind of more tropical ecology. Mm-hmm. With fieldwork. With fieldwork, <laughs> yeah. yeah. 30,000 some parafish were spearfished for my master's, and I want to got to keep that number going up. <laughs> I want to go spearfishing too. But. So you mentioned a spot with uh, coast as being Norway and your family's from Norway, right? Yeah. My mom's side. Okay. And did you spend any time there growing up or? Yeah, we did. So we would spend most summers there. Um, So school's out, fly to Norway and then spend as much time as we could there and then fly back and go back to school. Um, School being in Toronto for those that Mm. don't know. and in Norway, we were lucky enough to have a cottage on the coast. And we also had, well, in Norway, we had the the DNT. So it's like the Norwegian Hiking Association, or I guess the actual literal translation is the Norwegian Tourist. I guess Hiking Association is probably a better description of it. But they have trail systems and cabins. And okay. it's all, the membership is like, quite cheap but then once you have the membership you have access to all of it um so like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kilometers of trails that you can just go hike on and go stay at cabins overnight some of them are manned some of them are unmanned um so we got to do a lot of hiking Mm -hmm. growing up um and they also run through the dnt they run summer camps they run like parent child hikes okay where like it's a bunch of parents and their kids Kind of like I did one when I think I was like eight, yeah, with my mom, and it's just a bunch of like moms and their kids or dads and their kids going on a like four day hike, like straight Sounds... into the mountains into like I think it was between two man cabins, so there there was like a meal hall, and yeah, someone would serve you reindeer, and <laughs> you just get to go and go for a hike and. Um, and it was awesome. And as an eight year old, you're kind of just like bouncing off the walls, running up the oh, mountains yeah. and, and your mom is kind of <laughs> laboring behind. <laughs> but it was great. And, um, yeah, it was super good memories. Mm. Sounds pretty accessible. I mean, if they're cabins and you don't need to bring a tent, yeah. uh, and it sounds like some of them also have meals provided. I'm yeah. assuming not everyone. Not, not everyone. Yeah. There's definitely some of the more remote ones are are not manned um and it also changes in the winter like some of the manned ones are only manned in the summer okay when there's easy access and yeah. then once the snow comes it's it's skiing only yeah um, but usually they're pretty well stocked there's like a team that does i think stocking of them there's one job i've actually always wanted to do is the team that goes around all the trails and marks them like because mm-hmm. there's a nice there's usually this red t okay um which just means like trip and that's marked on anywhere in Norway. you see these boulders and then you'll see the red T and you're like, ah, I'm on the trail. <laughs> We're good to go. <laughs> um, so there's a team that just goes around and 
paints all those tees. Yeah. Which is great because you just got to go on a bunch of heights (laughs) (laughs) and just check the marking, which would be a great job. Although I'm not actually sure you get paid for that. I think that might be volunteer. Volunteer? But that's good. It's fine. Yeah. Time spent outside. So Time spent outside. Yeah. It's good. So back to the accessibility. Um, And maybe you don't remember. I don't know how long you were in Norway for. But did you find because it was more accessible, more of the population was going outside? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it becomes, it is part of the lifestyle. Like there. Yeah. Okay. Going outside is just a part of what you do. It, or it's not even a part of what you do. It's just a, it's just an assumed part of existence that you would go outside and that the fun things are outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a big part of that comes down to, and I don't think it's uniquely Norwegian. I think it's definitely more Scandinavian of the kind of ideas of, the best way to enjoy going outside is just having the skills to do so. And I think those are taught fairly early on of just like preparedness. And one thing that I think comes from maybe a place of privilege, but also like having the gear to do that. And so one thing you notice in Norway, or at least I always notice in Norway is people are walking around and everyone has like really good footwear. Okay. Like, you know, <laughs> people would be like going to the store in like really nice Solomon S work, running shoes and i just see that i'm like wow that's a amazing running shoe (laughs) um and i feel like i don't see that here as much but um but yeah people people just enjoy going outside it's Mm. just a part of part of life and all the trails are accessible there's a ton of work that goes into it they're all um i think like subsidized so there's a lot of support for them yeah um which I don't feel like a lot of trail associations have here. Like trail associations here, I feel like are pretty divided. Like there's the Macintosh run trail association, but that's just Macintosh run. It's not like Nova Scotia has a trail association Mm. that governs every trail in Nova Scotia. They're all funded. There's a dedicated team, that kind of thing. I feel like gets lost. So they're kind of divided even within sports. So like Macintosh has its, which is, I guess it's a mixed-use trail network because there's yeah. running and biking. Um, but then, I don't even know if I know another trail network, but then they would be separate. There's no governing body that manages all of them. I don't think so. Uh, I you think, th- or sorry. I was just going to say, you think that would be beneficial to the outdoor, um, I don't want to say industry because that sounds kind of like monetized with the outdoor um, lifestyle, for lack of a better word, here. Yeah, I think you. I think it would help. I think it's tricky because you want you want people to feel like they can go outside whenever they want, and that that means that you need good mark markation, um, which brings me back to the red tea of just everything's standardized. Uh, so there's never a question like you're not confused. You can be at like the most northern tip and see red tea, or yeah, the you know, point you know, you it's know. a trail, uh. um, and it's going to be marked the same way everywhere in norway yeah so regardless of where you grow up you know what the trail is going to look like there's that that and that much expectation is is easier um the trail maps are all accessible you it's not like you'd grow up somewhere and you wouldn't know the trail was there Mm -hmm. because if you're a kid in norway you're most likely going to join dnt um and you're going to know that they're there. Um, whereas here, I like I did not know Macintosh Run was a thing until like two years ago. Yeah. And, and I, did because did I started mountain biking. To it? Or how did you yeah. guys? Yeah. I knew there was like paths there, but I didn't know that they were good. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I feel like, yeah, the last two years of mountain biking has been an exploration of the trails here that I feel like I never knew existed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's probably just because I never went out there. But at the same time, there there wasn't like an advertisement of them. There is now with, I think, because the Macintosh run has a bit more social media presence and they're they're doing more things. And now there's the Halifax running groups, the owls. Uh, the hares, I think. Hares. Halifax hares, yeah. And they're advertising about getting out and going to trails. So groups like that help as mm. well. Yeah. Halifax hares are also advertise, or advocating, I guess advertising too, but trail like leave no trace ethics which is pretty yes. cool to see that on social media and just have a presence there yeah definitely yeah um back to norway 
the Scandinavian countries are kind of known for having a, a high quality of life. Um, how did you find uh, the work-life balance there versus here? It sounds like you were there when you were younger, so maybe you mm. don't know, but just your perception of it from others, I guess. My perception of it now is that they definitely seem to be innovating with things like four-day work weeks and more work from home and kind of shorter hours because I think there's a general realization that no, not that no one wants to go to work, but that if someone is having a lot of fun in the, the time they spend outside of work, they're probably going to enjoy work more. Yeah. Um, and that, I think, is a fairly accepted concept in Scandinavia. Um, and I think that's because everyone enjoys the outdoors so much that at every, like, hier- hierarchical position, uh, everyone's an outdoors person. Yeah. So n- there's never really a question of, like, why would you go outside? Yeah. Everybody, everybody understands. So when someone says, Oh, why well, like, I don't want to work on Friday. Cause I want to go for a hike with my family. And you say that to your boss and your boss is probably going to say, yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Can I come? Can I come? <laughs> of course. Um, which I feel like doesn't happen here. Although I haven't had a lot of bosses, so <laughs> I, I can't say I had that conversation. Um, but yeah. And, but the other thing with Norway is it is a different country than Canada. There is and yeah. the, like Norway is an incredibly privileged country because of its oil. And that has led to a massive national fund that can then fund stuff like allowing for people to engage with the outdoors mm. and, and have all that. Um, so from a climate change aspect, it, it's a, Norway is an oil country. Yeah. There was an oil country that is now benefiting from that. Yeah. But they, they, they've used it well, I guess. Mm-hmm. I would say that's an interesting dichotomy of just being an oil country, but taking those funds and putting them towards the outdoors. Yeah. But like, how do you, where do you draw the line there? You know, it's just, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I have one more Norway question. Of course. And then, uh. I'd be happy to wrap this up unless you want to talk about something else, which I'll definitely pick your brain on and give you the opportunity to bring up. But um, Norway is quite north. I don't know if it's past the Arctic Circle or not. I think there's a... Svalbard is past the Arctic Circle. Okay. Um, which is Norwegian territory, if I'm not mistaken. Although I think maybe the Danes have claim to it as well. Um, but yes, there is a portion of Norway... Um, that is above the Arctic Circle. So the day to night ratio swings quite a bit. Yes, it does. Um, but you were there in the summers, you said, so maybe you haven't experienced this. But how do people's, uh, I guess, mindsets shift during those swings? Because if you have 18 hours of daylight, it's obviously going to be, your day is going to be a lot different than if you have six hours of daylight. Yeah. Um, so I can, I can speak to the long days, and then I'm going to pull from my brother's experience on the long nights because um, he, he did his master's in Bergen. Okay. Which is, in, which is kind of, I would say mid, mid Norway. Um, it's still fairly Southern, but they still have long, long nights, but the long days are awesome because you can, you wake up and it's bright and you go to bed and it's bright. And it, it's very peaceful because you feel like you are never stressed on time. Ah, like you can just go out and do things and everything's bright. You can go swimming at night and you can see in the water, mm-hmm. which is just a pretty wild experience. Um, not a lot of stars. <laughs> I will admit <laughs> that. Um, but, but you do get some pretty, pretty, pretty nice skies at night. Um, and I have seen the midnight sun only once, but we went up into one of the northern islands and we got to see the the sun not even hit the ocean and then start going back up that's cool that was cool i was very tired I was <laughs> yeah like 10 and 10 year olds <laughs> staying up all night is not a good <laughs> not a good thing yeah um i'm not a parent yet but i know that much <laughs> i was gonna say yeah probably <clears throat> next day wasn't too bad for you but maybe hard for your parents um but then the the long nights are definitely hard and that is actually where i think a lot of people spend a lot of time outside is because um because there's so little daylight that daylight becomes very precious 
And mm-hmm. so that daylight time, you have to be outside. Yeah. Because if you're not, you've wasted that day and you're going to not feel good. And yeah. my brother had to get a, like a sunlight. Oh. The, the, the ones that you kind of put above your window to, to simulate sunlight because it would just be dark all the time. Yeah. And that, that definitely wears on you. Um, and I feel like that's where the, the very dry Nordic humor <laughs> comes in. Of, uh, people it's needed. Yeah. Yeah. So you said the, the daylight during the short days is really valued. Are people able to work around that? Maybe put like three or four hours in during the morning, which the dark hours, mm-hmm. uh, spend their time outside while it's light and then finish off their day once the sun sets? I think so. I think, I think people, I think my brother talked a lot about people would do kind of like walking lunches. Mm-hmm. It's like at, at lunch, people would, would go outside and go for a walk. Yeah. Um, and that is a big thing actually, um, of like short hikes, like an hour long, a half hour, just like a, a just quick walk around the block of like any, any time that there's, time that you have that you're not really sure to do with and i do this as well is like even at 11 o'clock at night if i don't know what to do with myself just go for a walk mm. um and do you go with headphones or anything or you just go no i just yeah go go for a walk um and i definitely got it for my mom because my mom just goes for walks you know don't know what to do with yourself go for a walk <laughs> um it's lunchtime and there's daylight <laughs> go, for go for a walk, walk. <laughs> <laughs> um and i think the the movement helps it's 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 a bit, it's an easy way to be mindful, I think. Um, and just when you're walking and you're observing things, you just, it's, it's a nice restful period and yeah, it's good for you. Yeah. Yeah. Makes everything a little more comfortable. Yeah. Do you leave your phone behind behind or do you take it with you? I usually take it with me and that is because one time I didn't take my phone and my wallet with me and my brother got angry with me. So. Uh, <laughs> Driver's <okay>. card. <laughs> Thanks, dude. Fair enough. No, now I always make sure I have my phone and wallet with me. Yeah, yeah. Um, that I think is just, I wish I didn't. I wish I could just leave. I actually, when I go running, I don't bring anything but my keys. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, I bought my Garmin so I could leave my phone at home. Because it's, oh, you do can you just, have a Garmin watch? Yeah. I have a like 4.9, I do. I haven't run much lately. Uh, just kind of like recovering from some stuff, but it's great for, like you said, leaving your phone at home. You can put maps on this too somehow. I'm not sure. I haven't really figured out. It's uh, probably overkill for what I use it for, but you can put music on it too. I wow. personally don't run with music, um, but never, it tracks your elevation and stuff. And I've never run with music. I, I like the reason, well, not the only reason I like going for runs, but it's just kind of like disconnect and kind of. Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes I get back from a run. I'm like, what did I think about for the past 40 minutes? <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah. I know there, there's this, um, this random story, but there's this Japanese runner who I'm totally not remembering the name, but he wrote, I think, I don't know if it was a book or a blog post, but it was about the best music to run to. And he sampled objectively or subjectively. I think subjectively, okay. but I think, no, I think he had an objective reason for why it was okay. the best. But he went through all sorts of genres, um, and he eventually he settled on country. Okay. And he said it was because every song has the same rhythm. Oh, I can't understand and the, that. The cadence is always constant. Yeah. And no other genre has that because there's always kind of movements. Like classical doesn't have it because it goes faster and slower and it changes song to song. Mm-hmm. Hip hop doesn't have that. I feel like electronica often plays with plays with the tempo. But country doesn't. Yeah. Country has a set tempo. It's okay. always the same. That's something I've been curious about for people who do run is how do you set your tempo when yeah. I guess you just have a wide variety of genres of just like one fifty BPM and anything <laughs> that hits that you, you just gotta to make it. your own music. <laughs> just get in yeah. garage band that's what I'm sure that's what Sophie does. Well, she'll have to now. Well, yeah. I have to plant, plant <laughs> that seed. It. Plant <laughs> yeah. the seed. Comes with the custom training program is the music. Yeah. As well. Sophie's SoundCloud is about to be popping. <laughs> yeah, I'll leave a link in the description. <laughs> uh, all right. Wow. Um, well, yeah, that's great to chat to her. No, thank um, you. So, sorry I talked your ear off. Oh, no, I'm all for it. I love these conversations. That's part of the reason I want to, I want to do this is kind of hear what people are 
up to and mm -hmm. their work outdoor recreation how they're managing both but um is there anything we didn't touch on you want to touch on or anything you want to leave for anybody listening that be it a podcast or like a blog post or something they should go check out check out this podcast oh it's gonna be fire it's a meta shout out <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no check out alex on instagram cool running 100 kilometers 100 kilometers didn't you run 100 oh i did yeah yeah you did nah, whatever. <laughs> whatever uh whatever it was yeah. fine it was focus fast. on the podcast i was gonna say it was you said oh i'm recovering from something i'm like uh kilometers? <laughs> uh, yeah yeah that's exactly it but i think i'm good to go gonna, oh, that's good yeah cool well uh, yeah i appreciate you taking the time out of your busy no week worries. and uh safe travels i hope to see you on the west coast i hope to see you there too <laughs>